Hello and welcome everybody. My name is Andrew Krause. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight and you're stuck with me for a full hour. We're going to do a Q&A for the next hour and it's going to be on licensing. So what licensing is, is um, basically renting or leasing your new product innovation or invention idea, whatever you want to call it, um, to a large company. And they put their money in, they use their workforce and their existing distribution to get it in the stores. So you tap into that machine. And that's what licensing is. Way better than a silly TV show to say, oh, I want to get my product to market by going on a TV show. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and then it's, it's much uh, less involved, less financially risky, and much easier than starting your own business and selling it yourself. So licensing your product for royalties is the lowest cost most effective way to really dream very big. And I like to joke, you can have delusions of grandeur when you're licensing you and you're not delusional because for that big company to sell 20,000 units, 50,000 units a month, a year, whatever, 2 million units, that's normal for them, right? And But for you to do that and start a business from scratch and be a one product, one SKU company, retailers, distributors, they don't want to deal with you, but they want to deal with that large company. So when you license that product to the large company, they're used to doing some pretty serious volume. And you're getting a royalty on every unit. So you can dream big. So what I like about licensing is you can dream really big. So um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and... God, why is that paging down? Oh, there we go. There we go. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and do some Q&A. So uh, just to let you guys know, we've been coaching and mentoring inventors for the last 22 years. We've had students in over 65 countries. I like to think we're kind of the guys in this space. We're pretty damn good at it. We're, we're um, the biggest guy in our little puddle and what we specialize in. And um, people seem to enjoy all the free information we give, also the low cost stuff like our books and particularly our, our coaching program. Um, I just interviewed uh, Terry O'Mara, one of our coaches, and um, Kelly uh, Ehrenman, and she licensed a game. She just licensed. And uh, well, she licensed it a while ago and it just hit the market. And that video should be coming out uh, tomorrow. So um, we get students licensing stuff all the time. And it's because we, we I don't use one, make them. We, we guide them. We make sure they do the work. That's probably a better way of putting it. Um, and we get them in the right mindset. You know, it's a big, it feels like a big step to go from just dreaming up ideas to actually working on them. When I say working on them, I don't mean thinking about them. I don't mean making a prototype. I don't mean throwing money at a patent attorney. I mean actually working on them and getting them licensed. So, um, and that's what we specialize in. So let's see, let's just jump right in. Uh, Rana, the first question, uh, I might have to put my, my readers on here at times. Actually, I don't, I'll just blow this up because I don't like put my glasses on. There we go, okay. Um, I'm finally, I got, I'm going to make an appointment. I swear with uh, lens crafters or someplace and get an eye exam. Cause these are just dollar store readers. And I, I'm I just turned 53 today. It's my birthday. Um, so I think it's finally time to, uh, go to the eye doctor and, and go, okay, do I need some readers just, but I just made it big. So I don't hear, I usually just need them on my phone. Anyway, you guys don't want to hear about that. Um, <laughs> thanks for the live sessions. They help. Uh, this is from Ron. I'm in the prototype phase and considering the as-seen-on-TV route. What are the drawbacks of settling for 3%? Um, so it seems like Ron's fairly knowledgeable that the, the DRTV, so what is DRTV? It's called Direct Response Television. There's so many names. As-seen-on-TV, infomercials. Um, those are all things to say DRTV. Um, I think it's interesting, the DRTV space or the infomercial space, the as seen on TV space, whatever the heck you want to call it. Um, how many people have broadcast TV anymore? Usually the only people that do um, have cable TV or the people that uh, watch sports. So I think the, the DRTV people, they're advertising in different places now, you know, with their, with their commercials or just on, uh, on streaming services. I've never seen them on like Netflix or Hulu or I don't, Disney doesn't have it. And I actually, I pay for not to have ads. So that's probably what, why I haven't seen it. But I have at times not paid, got the cheaper service. And I never saw those infomercial guys, but they're still advertising. Um, 
So what are the drawbacks of selling for 3%? I, you know, it, people get too obsessed about the royalty rate. It's really three things. It's the royalty rate. A lot of you guys heard me say this before. It's the price of the product. Is it a 99 cent product? Is it a $500 product? Is it a $24 product? Because that royalty rate, you're getting it on the price of the product, right? And then um, what kind of volume are they going to sell? So, you know, are they going to sell 50,000 units a month? Are they going to sell half a million? Are they going to sell 5,000? Like, wh how, mu how much are they going to sell? So you multiply the royalty rate times the price of the product times um, the number of units being sold in order to get your royalty. So, so what if DR common royalty rate, and don't go blurting this out to any company, the common royalty rate for consumer products is 5%. Um, but I've seen people, they didn't blurt it out because we taught them not to with our students. And they're, the company's like, well, we standardly, we do a 8% royalty rate, right? So sometimes companies, they only have a 20% profit margin. So they're taking all the risk, doing all the work. And for instance, they're getting, a, in that scenario, they're getting 50% uh, profit and you're getting 5% of it. That's pretty freaking generous. So these people are going, oh, I wouldn't take anything less than 50%. They don't understand licensing, right? Um, that's ridiculous. You, you're never going to get that. Um, so you're going to get a royalty, but, and it could, and, and I think somebody a little bit further down had a question about royalties and how big or small they could be. You know, if you license to some little mom and pop novelty company and it's a husband and wife, I'm just making up this fictitious scenario and they're only got distribution in a few gift stores you're going to be very happy with those royalties. I mean, you get a couple thousand dollars of royalties a year, but then you license another product and you're getting uh, maybe a million a year, maybe 2 million a year. That's not typical either. You're getting something in between those couple thousand dollars and a million a year or something. But, um, you know, you to get that royalty, you need to figure out, you know, you, that's the royalty rate, the price, the product, and the volume they can sell. So when you do a licensing deal, you interview them about what they can do, and then you hold them to it in the licensing contract. You know, I mean, like uh, this product, which I've shown you guys before, Ryan Bricker. It's really, it's just a fun, really slick product. And it freezes ice here, and then you put the whiskey here. So when you have all these ice cubes, you have more surface area, and the ice melts in the whiskey, and then it dilutes the whiskey. But instead, you put the water in, you put the wedge in, and then you take the wedge out and now you've got the ice and then you put the whiskey in. Really cool product. I told him, I said, wow, that is really nice. It's a really slick product, right? And I said, um, yeah, I think you're going to do well. It's a little niche. I was wrong on that one. And he's making, by the time he's done, he's going to have at least made a million dollars on that, you know. But then I, I just picked this one up because it's on the same shelf, not for any particular reason. This is a little slider that goes on your webcam, on your laptop, and you just slide it back and forth. You know, it's a much lower price product. You're not gonna do as much volume, you, you know, you could might do a lot of volume, but is that gonna is that gonna earn that kind of money? Of course it isn't, you know, because it's, it's not a higher price product and the volume that's being sold, you know. Um, if you want another million dollar one, you know, or a multi-million dollar one is Dario with his cocoon gridded product. I don't know how many versions of this they had. They had it for backpacks and purses. And and basically, you create your own little pocketing system. And it's not just straps going the same way. It's in a very particular pattern that was patented. And this is very unusual. I've never seen this with anybody else. He was making so many royalties, they ended up buying him out. I, I've never seen that. That was the only time I've ever seen that in 22 years that I'm aware of. Maybe some of our students have done other deals. Um, but... You know, I, I wouldn't worry. I liked what Stephen, our other co-founder, said the other day. I wouldn't worry about how much money you're going to make. You're like, well, but I'm driven by money. And it's like, okay. But it is what it is. Now, when you're picking your products, you know, if you want to make money, uh, a lot of money, I probably wouldn't pick this as the one you're going to try to make a million dollars off. A little slider that's a cheap, affordable little piece. This is not. This is nicely done, but it's such a low price point. They need to sell insane volume for the royalties to add up to significant amount of money. Now, don't draw the conclusion that, oh, I need to do more expensive products. No. I mean, you can make a lot of money on a $19 product. You can make a lot of money on a, a $99 product. You can you can make it on all sorts of different price points because it's not just the price of the product. It's not just the royalty rate. And it's not just the volume. Okay. But it could be a $500 product. You get a 20% royalty, which is not reasonable. 
Um, but if they only sell two units a year, you're not going to be very happy or a thousand units a year or whatever it is, you know? So again, royalty rate, price of the product, the volume being sold. And if you're approaching major, large companies that are, um, have distribution in the major stores you want to be, you know, they're a player. Now you might start talking with them and they have smaller plans for your idea than you want. And okay, that's, that's a, that's something you want to talk about. Sometimes you get these really large companies. They got, you know, well, we'll just test it here and there. It's like, eh. and then you get another company's a medium size. No, we're going to blow it out here and here and here. So it's not just the size of the company. It is very relevant. Don't get me wrong. But it's also, you could go from a medium or medium large company to a very large company. And that medium or medium large company, like in between, um, they might have bigger plans and they might be able to sell a lot more than that larger company. So don't just go by the size of the company. Um, here's also don't do this. I, I've talked to inventors that they, they haven't been watching our show. They were not students of ours and they found us and they set up a call and they, they talked to me and they told me they did a licensing deal. And I'm very unhappy because the product hasn't hit the market. And I go, well, where do they sell? They couldn't tell me. I'm like, what? You, you don't know where they sell? No, I don't know all the places. I don't know the places they sell. I'm like, but you signed an agreement and you don't know the places they sell? What are your minimum guarantees? What's that? I'm like, what did you do? Just sign the contract that they gave you? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, if I look shocked, I, I was shocked and I've seen that more than a few times. So know that you will never, ever, ever sign the first license agreement a company gives you. It's a, it's a um, negotiation. Also, the other thing, I'm just going off random tangents here, but then I'll get back to your questions, but this is all good stuff, I think. Um, there's a, a whole back and forth via phone, via email before you get to the contract. It's not like you're going to have a call. They're like, oh, we're going to send you our contract. That happens occasionally. It's not how it normally happens, guys. And you need to be at least, at least asking 50% of the questions and guiding it. At least you're guiding it more than they are, 50% or more. And if you're not doing that, uh, only the only the most amazing products will still get done. You need to guide them in the right direction. They're very busy. Marketing managers got a lot of things going on. If you don't guide that deal, and we have a negotiation coach and a licensing coach that helps our students do that. But once they experience that, they're like, oh, I got it. If I if I get you know companies interested, this is the deal flow. This is the way it goes. And it, it can vary though, depending on the company and the person. So even if you do it a couple times, they might throw a monkey wrench in there and ask you something different. That's the benefit of having a coach. Um, let's see, Ron. So so Ron's question, getting back to his question, boy, I went off on a tangent there. Um, for the as seen on TV wrote, he knows is heard that quite often they don't give five percent it's very common for them to give three percent which is like and the drtv business is changing you know before they would go they would go huge or nothing at all because they're infomercial guys they're like hey if we're not paying you i've seen i saw one contract a while back where if they weren't paying you a quarter million in royalties a year they did not want they said we won't be doing the product anymore if we're not giving you that much now that has changed I've talked to some DRTV companies where they're kind of getting a little bit more like standard consumer product companies. They want the big hit, but they also just want the products that fill out their product line that they're not even advertising on TV. So they get into Walmart with this particular pet product. I'm just making stuff up here with a particular pet product. And that's the one that's big on TV. And now a lot of the retailers are saying, we want a line. So we want a line. So they might actually sell to Walmart, for example, another pet product, another pet product, and there's no TV ad at all. So they're kind of in sometimes becoming like standard consumer product companies, right? And so in that case, you know, a 3% deal for the one they're going to go big with all the advertising is different than a 3% deal for just another product they're going to put in the product line, which is fine as well. But I would say that's a little on the low side. So what are their minimum guarantees? What's all that? What are they going to do with it? And you might be okay with 3%, but that's the only industry where I see uh, 5% is not being the norm and 3% is being more common as the infomercial as seen on TV, guys. You know, um, 
So Ron said, if an, if my invention isn't selected by direct sellers, can I still work with InventRight? So I think what he means is if he reaches out to Walmart or Target or these retailers and they don't show interest, yeah, of course, because you're you when you license, Ron, you don't license to a retailer. You license to the manufacturer that licensed the retailer. They made distribution in a lot of places where and the that same retailer might actually be interested in the product coming from that big company you license to as opposed to you. Because it, you know, you're not gonna get FaceTime with Walmart. Like you can do some pull-through marketing. And somebody asked this question later. I think Gavin, you answered the, asked this essentially this. You always want to license to the manufacturer that sells to the retailer. So it's a brand. So let's say it's um, I'm just making up something. I don't know. My, we're looking at some soccer stuff for my daughter. So Franklin, they make soccer cones and balls and stuff like that. So you don't license your new soccer cone to Walmart. You license it to Franklin that has distribution in Walmart and Big Five and Dick Sporting Goods and all these other places, right? This new soccer cone. Um, now, what Gavin was asking later in the chat here was like, oh, well, you know, sometimes Franklin will like get it and sometimes they'll want to show it to a buyer at Walmart or Big Five or Dick Sporting Goods to get interest. So should I show directly, Gavin is saying. And so you can do that. But that's not a typical approach. You license it to the to the brand, let's say Franklin's making soccer related equipment. And then they're gonna they might show it to buyer, they might not. They might just show it to buyer and go, you know, we want to license this thing. Every company is different. So what Gavin is asking, and also what kind of Ron is asking, well, not Ron's not asking this, but it's gonna be a good answer, is um you can go to the if you go to the buyer for like Dick Sporting Goods. Now they're going to get a little irritated with you here because you're not ready to manufacture and sell this thing. So you sell them the sell sheet and they're like interested. They're, oh, this is interesting. They're the buyer of a store, okay? So they're like, what, where's your price sheet? What are the prices? And you're like, oh, no, I'm looking to license this. And they're like, oh, one of those, okay? But then you can say, look, if, if, if I license this to one of your vendors, would you be interested in buying it? And so they get a little irritated sometimes and they're like, well, yeah, this is a really good product. OK, now you can take that interest and you can go to Franklin, let's say, and you can go, hey, the, the buyer for Dick Sporting Good said they love it. Now, I don't think that that that's not our standard approach, not usually necessary, but that if you want to go over and above, you can do that. You can kind of create demand. So show that the buyer at a store is interested, <clears throat> but realize you're not going to be like getting a meeting at Walmart corporate headquarters are going to vet you before you do that. But you can get the eyeball of a buyer on a sell sheet for a few seconds sometimes, but also realize they're going to be irritated because they got excited about the product. And then you're another one of these inventors can't deliver the product. So you just say, if I license this to one of your vendors, would you be interested in buying it? You know, and you go from there and then you utilize that and you write down their name and then you, you can tell the company, the brand, like, Franklin soccer products that you're looking to, I'm just using this as an example, um, that you've got some interest from this buyer at this particular store. Uh, but usually they're going to do that. So you don't usually need to do that. I would say I would go direct to all your potential licensees, all the brands, manufacturers. And then, then if that doesn't work out, Gavin, and then also Ron, then you can go. But Ron is saying, if I show it to these major retailers and they say no, maybe they're saying no because you're who you are, Ron. Because they know you're not going to deliver on time. You're a one product company, independent inventor. They know you're underfunded. You're not gonna, you're not gonna do quality. And they're like, we don't deal with that. You know, that's not who we would want to buy from. But they would buy that same product from a big manufacturer. Because imagine randomly, I don't know how many SKUs Bed Bath and Beyond has, but let's say they have 50,000 products. If every single product had a different vendor. They'd want to go, oh, my God, I can't do this. I'm, I, I quit, right? So they have some companies that have 50 products, 100 products, 20 products. But so, Ron, they might be saying no to your product, not because of the product, but because of you. And you're going in there, hey, I want to sell you my product. They can see you don't know what the hell you're doing. You're not properly funded, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, if you show it to a few retailers, you don't get interest. Can you still work on with us and try to license it to a manufacturer that sells a retailer? Hell yeah. You know, of course you can. Um, all right. I, I always like their handle. Their handle is don't touch me. 
don't touch me. Um, I already, I already made game sale and shell a sell sheet video, a game sell sheet and video. Okay. Can I pitch my game while I'm still working on the copyright with the copyright office to review and approve my submission? If so, what else should I include in my pitch? So copyright is automatic. You don't need to file it with a library of Congress. Copyrights are with the Library of Congress. They're not with the Patent Office. Trademarks are called the Patent and Trademark Office. So it's patents and trademarks. And the Library of Congress does copyrights. So if you give a speech, it's automatically copyrighted. If you do artwork and you put a little C on, it's automatically copyrighted, even if you don't, but you should do that. So when you're doing a game, uh, don't touch me. You don't have to um, do a, file a copyright. But if you want to go over and above, that's fine. I don't know how much it is these days. I don't remember. It's like 100 bucks or something like that. Um, so, and you can throw a whole bunch of stuff in the one, one submission is my understanding, but also, yeah, so you wouldn't have to wait cause it's already copyrighted. Copyright's automatic. You don't have to file it with anybody, but if you want to go over and above to create that paper trail, you're welcome to file it with the library of Congress. So they also said, can I add to a copyright submission? Once the filing process begins, I'm finishing up submitting my rules, but Graphics on the cards will not be done for another week. Can I submit them at a later date? I don't know. You need to ask them. I'm not filing um, copyrights with the Library of Congress that often. I mean, you should really have it all together and just file it. You can't just keep sending stuff in. Every time you send it in, my understanding is you got to pay that 100 bucks or whatever it is. I don't know what the current fee is. Okay. Um, and Lance says, hey, Andrew, when I send my sell sheet to someone in marketing, and follow up with a call, what questions should I be asking them? Um, well, most of the time, you're not going to get them when you follow up with a call. You're going to follow up with an email. You're going to follow up with another LinkedIn message. You can follow up with a call, but who picks up their freaking phone these days? So, you know, normally you're sending your sell sheet in and they're going to respond 95 to 98% of the time via email or via LinkedIn, whatever mechanism you're in. Now, they might call. But it's pretty rare. I mean, I interviewed, uh, if you go on our YouTube show, you'll see I interviewed one of our students and um, uh, company David Contract with Baby Bretza. And uh, he didn't get the first email at all. And he completely ignored her. She sent it again. He didn't ignore her. He just didn't see it. Or just he's like, I don't know what happened to it. And then he called because he was real, so excited about the product. So they will call some of the time. But um, you're not going to like get them on the phone a lot of the time. Now, if you do, that's perfectly fine. So the question is, what questions should I ask? be asking them? Well, what you're looking to see is, were they interested in your product? So when you send your sell sheet or your video, are they interested in your product? That should stand up on its own. You should be doing such good marketing materials that they'll be able to assess if they want more information based on those marketing materials. So the first thing you want to do when you get that interest, usually via email or LinkedIn, is set up a phone call. If they ask you for a patent or a prototype or this or that, don't do it. Not because they're going to rip you off or any paranoid junk like that, but because it's not the proper deal flow. When you get them on the phone, you give, them, you give yourself and them an opportunity to establish some rapport. That's everything. That's very, very important. You ask them some questions. Start talking about the product. As an inventor, you can talk about the product. Let them talk about the product. Once they start talking about the product, don't underestimate the value of this. They start to feel like it's theirs, which is exactly what you want them to do. You want them to like start to get involved in it. For them, dropping an email back takes 10 seconds. It's not involvement. Oh, I'll see what this guy says. No, that's crap. The fact that they get on the phone to talk to you, that shows significant interest. And then get them talking about it. So establishing rapport, get them talking about the product. You're never going to close a deal on that first call ever, nor should you even remotely try. Um, you're just trying to establish some rapport, talk about the product, see where their head's at. And especially on that first call, you know, where do you see, where do you see yourself placing this? Oh, I could see it here and here. They'll say all sorts of stuff on that first call that they shouldn't be saying that I, I make a joke you can use against them later, but you can hold them to later in some way, shape or form maybe. So um, so yeah, but if you're following up on the phone, the phone's not a really a great mechanism to follow up, go for it. Um, if you made the first contact there on the phone and they um, 
said, oh, yeah, send it on over. They might pick up the phone again. Or maybe they gave you their cell phone or something. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I would always try to follow up via email or LinkedIn first before you follow up on the phone. But that first phone call is is, is very, very important. Um, then, you're, then I kind of answer your question about a range. I mean, literally, when you license a product, it could be thousands of dollars a year to a million dollars in royalties a year. But, you know, it, it, it depends on, again, the royalty rate, the price of the product and the volume being sold. But by looking at certain products, you can see like, wow, a lot of companies are selling this sort of thing. And it's in all these stores like this is a volume product here. This is a high volume product. And you can also make observations. So this is a really niche product. So, you know, if it's a super niche product, I used to give this silly example. I don't hunt, but if you wanted to sell knives for people that hunt and skin aardvarks, okay, you're not going to be very happy with those royalty rates. Yes, I said knives for people that hunt and skin aardvarks. It's just, I'm just being silly. Um, it's not going to be very high volume. You're not going to be very happy with those royalty rates, okay? But if you do a product that's in a Walmart or a Target or it's an industrial product, um, one of our, I mentioned this, I mentioned this a lot, but because because the, the the number of SKUs that some of these companies have is crazy. One of our coaches, Kirk, he licensed the wrench to a very big um, tool company. And they have over nine thousand, yes, nine thousand products, and that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Oh, I want to be special, and they're just paying attention to me. No, that's crap. It's a freaking machine. So when they have nine thousand products, and you plug your product into that. That's a machine. That's great. You got sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising, all working on your product. And that's what large companies are good at. They're good at logistics and distribution stuff. And some of them are good at design and ideation and coming up with new ideas. A lot of them aren't. And some of them, they do a percentage of their own. They do a percentage of inventors. Some of them just do every single one of their new products are from inventors. And some of them do a percentage. And some of them, some, no, we got our own design department. That's really, it's called non-invented here. It's, we really don't see it that often. But if you reach out to 30 companies, maybe one or two might feel that way. Um, it might be, you know. And then sometimes it even says on their website, like they don't accept outside submissions, but you contact the marketing manager and they're like, oh yeah, send it on over. So you just never know. Um, but the volume they can do and the, the, with the money they have and the workforce they have, and the existing distribution they have. Um, I did an interview today with one of our students, Kelly, that just, her product just hit the market and her coach, Terry. And she said one of the things that upset her was she was on a webinar. She wasn't a student yet. And I was, I did a webinar and our other co-founder was on the webinar. And people asked like, how long does it take before you get royalties? And I, I, the answer I gave was a year or longer. And a whole bunch of people, she said, and she was one of them, typed back, oh my God, what the heck? That's terrible. And, and she says she's so realistic about that now. So, you know, even if you signed a contract today, it would probably be on average about, you know, 10 months to 14 months before the product hit the market, especially with the uh, supply chain issues and all that stuff that's going on right now. Um, but that's fine. You've moved on. You've licensed other product. You're going to work on licensing other products. That's fine. Put it into play. But sometimes I, I'm honest with people about that. And because it, it takes them a while to get it up and running. This is a very, these are very large companies. <coughs> they don't just launch their own products overnight. You know, it takes a while to get tooled up, maybe overseas. And then, then it's got to figure out this and that. And then it comes over and then they're going to put it in this queue over here and this and that. And, you know, there's all these different things you need to do. And some people say, well, well, I, I could do faster than that. I want, I, I'm just going to put it up on Facebook or I'll put it on eBay or I'll put it on Etsy. And I'm like, well, is that what you want for your product? I mean, yeah, if you're okay with selling 20, 50 units a month, that's great. There's more power to you. Nothing wrong with that. But they're they're not thinking it through. And yeah, you could get immediate gratification. You sold 50 or maybe even 500. But maybe that the big company is selling 500,000, you know? And so you got to decide what your goal is. And so getting that immediate gratification is one thing, but licensing a big company that can do really incredible volume and you know they're going to do it right and you know retailers are going to listen to them because they have a lot of products already in their stores they don't want you they don't want you as a one product one skew company you're paying their butt 
You know, they know, you know, just another inventor that doesn't know what the hell they're doing. They're excited about the product, but know nothing about business, right? But the other thing, a big advantage of licensing a large company is first to market. Way better protection in most scenarios than even a patent. Way better. So when your big company gets first to market and puts it out there in a big way, and they're selling 80%, let's say it's really successful, and there's 20%, there's knockoffs, and the company tries to take care of them, sends a little cease and desist because it doesn't cost them anything. Maybe it gets rid of some, doesn't get rid of others. But congratulations, you're successful. Um, and your big company put it out there fast and hard, and they are the selling 80% of that product, right? And you only got like 20% knockoffs or less. But if you launch it in some small way on your own, then the big guys knock some somebody knocks you off and you, it's like you didn't even exist you know so don't underestimate the value of being first to market and they, then other people think you're a me too but you know you, you but the other the other some company knocked you off so being first to market in a big way with with they have great distribution logistics um you know the all the workforce to do it the money to do it don't underestimate that as better protection than a patent in most cases. Um, yeah, some products sell for 20 years. Some products sell for two or three or four, and that's it. So getting out there hard and fast is really important. It really depends on the product. Um, let's see. Uh, Elance also said, my brother has two books published on Amazon with only a handful of patrons. How would I go about licensing the story to be a made into a film? like Keith Chapman. So we run this other organization called the Meta Groups of America. And we had uh, Keith Chapman. I was actually on vacation then. I'm never on vacation. And he did Paw Patrol. And um, he's like, a, this guy's like insanely rich now from Paw Patrol and Bob the Builder. Um, we specialize in licensing. Hollywood is not licensing. So if you want to make it into a film and pitch Hollywood, that's a whole nother animal. Okay. So you need to get some experience and some um, advice from people that know how to pitch books to scripts. Okay. Or books to, yeah, to TV shows or movies. That's not us. A lot of the things we teach could be applied there, but we are not Hollywood. We're licensing and about you licensing your products to major corporations, maybe some smaller companies too that have distribution in all the retailers you want to be in. And it could be an industrial product, a consumer product, a medical product. We've had students do stuff in all different areas. Sometimes people look at some stuff, like some stuff back here, and some of it doesn't fit on the shelf. It's like I got a gentleman, he licensed a, a giant boring drill the size of a Volkswagen Bug. I'm not going to put that in my office here. Um, and, you know, it's an industrial boring drill, you know, so you can license all sorts of stuff. But the, the Hollywood thing, that's another animal. Okay, that's not us. So I can't give you advice there. Uh, Ms. Tish, Gavin, I think I pretty much answered your question from before. Um, let's see. Uh, Ms. Tish, happy Monday, Andrew. All on purpose. I love that. That's great. Um, Roman Tortoise says, my product is an improvement on an existing product. Technically, my product can be made and add it to an existing product, should I try to license just the add-on or the whole thing as a new product? So I'm going to give you this really annoying like patent attorney answer. It has nothing to do with legalities, but it depends. So I've helped so many students with, you know, look at these types of things. Should I just license it as a package, like the existing type of product that a lot of people are selling plus mine and it's like all together? Or should I sell it as an add-on? It depends. I would have to look at the product to know. I there, couldn't possibly answer that. I mean, to give a generic answer on that, I, sometimes I'll have a generic answer. Well, this is going to be applied most of the time, but I don't know about yours. In that case, I'd say it totally depends on the product. I can't give you a generic answer on that one. Um, okay. Uh, Hector says, hi there, Andrew. Good to hear from you every Monday. My question is, if you end up finding an innovation similar to the idea that you have, what should you do from there? So you should, sometimes you should celebrate because if you find there's another product or several products that are kind of like yours, it proves there's a market. Great. So when I would celebrate is you find a similar product or a bunch and go, oh, damn, that, is, that exists. And it's if it's selling well, even more reason to celebrate. And oh, I have a point of difference. 
I got a, a unique selling proposition. I got a new, uh, I got a benefit. You know, if that that product and my product are on the shelf, at least a percentage of people would buy my product. Okay. Um, now, some people will find the exact same thing. I wouldn't stop. You've been dreaming about this thing for, for months or years, maybe. I would go, okay, crap. I found the exact same thing. And I would, and it, it really depends. Like, did you find a patent? I'm very unconcerned about that. So somebody filed a patent. Oh, well, it must have not worked. No, people file patents all the time. They don't try to monetize it at all. They don't try to license it. They don't try to venture it. They just file the patent. So don't think that if you find a patent and it's the exact same thing, go, oh, well, that means it didn't make sense because they didn't, they weren't able to make it work. Well, most inventors are clueless about how to make that product work by either venturing it or licensing it and because they just threw a bunch of money at attorney and they didn't do anything from there. So don't make any false assumptions there. Um, let's say the product, you find it, it's on the market. It's not just patented. It's on the market and it's selling, but just okay. Take a look at what the company is. Go, oh, well, this company marketing kind of sucks or wow, they're only in those stores. Like this is kind of a wimpy company. They're not a big company. Maybe they're just don't have good distribution. And, you know, and so, you know, and then, or if it's a big company and selling well, that's a great thing to celebrate if you have a point of difference. But let's say it was patented or let's say it's on the market. It's the exact same freaking thing. Okay. You're like, oh crap. Most of the time when I have students that I've talked to about that, I can help them figure out a workaround. I go, well, this and this and this is what they're pitching. And, and it's like a lot of inventors, like you you were creative when you came up with it, obviously. But at some point you lost your creativity. It became cemented in your brain. This is what it is. This is what it is. So when you find somebody that's the exact same thing, you've lost your ability to think differently. I'm not saying all inventors, but a lot of inventors where you're just in shock and you could easily go, you know, oh, we can get around this. We can, we can create an improvement. If it's a patent, I'm like, well, what do they really protect? And we look through the claims. It's like, they're just protected. I remember there was something a, a student had. It was like a hook on the fence. I'm like, do you need that? And the student's like, no, I don't need that. That's irrelevant. I'm like, what about this? What about this? They're like, no, I don't need any of those. I'm like, this patent's not a problem, right? Okay. And then if you have the product on the market, you know, maybe you look at what the potential problems are with the product. Maybe the product works just fine, but it works even better with your improvement. And a lot of times, like if you find five companies doing that product and you didn't know it existed, um, maybe that's fine as well. Because now if you see five companies doing it, it's probably kind of public domain. Somebody started doing it. Nobody got a patent. Everybody, Most things aren't patented, guys. And you go, okay, I can't patent the core piece because there are five companies selling essentially this type of product, but I can patent my improvement. And then it's going to be intriguing. And some companies actually like that because... You know, when you reach out to all your potential licensees, the ones not selling those, or maybe the ones selling those because you want to give them a leg up, you know, and if all those five products are on the shelf, if a good deal of people would buy yours over those, it's going to give them a point of difference. But also you can license it to people that aren't doing this product. The five other companies are doing it. The company likes it because they're like, whoa, five companies are doing it. They wouldn't be continuing to sell it if it wasn't selling well. And whoa, I got a point of difference. I didn't really want to get into that little area there, but I'm going to do now. I like it. So Sometimes if there's a bunch of products that are somewhat similar, it's a good thing, you know, and then other companies are like, nah, we don't, we don't want to be a me too, even if we have an improvement to it. Every company is different. You'll find out who's who. So, uh, what should I do from there? Yeah. So, and Hector didn't even say that. He just said it's finding something similar. So you take a look at it, analyze like what's good about it, what's bad about it. If you can go to a site, if it's on Amazon, you can look at reviews, you can do that. And, um, but this, this, it's a disease to think that there should be nothing like your product and I'm so unique and my product is so special. And that's, that's a, a, a disease and it's, it's, it's subliminal. It's, it's, it's subconscious a lot of the time, not subliminal, subconscious. Um, and you don't even realize you're doing that to yourself, but you, you've got this like artist mentality. I have to come up with something. There's nothing like it. It's so great. And it's like, you know, your improvement's good. And maybe it's not so great even. It's just kind of like, wow, that's, some people would buy that over this. It doesn't have to be mind blowing. So um, Hector realized it doesn't need to be mind blowing. Analyze how that product works and think, do, would, would another company, given if they saw that product still want mine? 
And if the answer is yes, great. If the answer is no, could you keep tweaking it and improving it? So I love these questions. Um, J. Bell Ding's Daydream Garden. Did I get that right? Yeah, J. Bell Diggs Daydream Garden is their handle. Um, where's Piper? Piper is one of my dogs. Why was she wet? I think this must have been from the last show. Any additional contest opportunities in the pipeline? Thanks in advance for another great hour. Um, no, it, we, we did that big contest and uh, Misha won. That vi His video is actually up on our channel. It was a lot of fun. You'll be like, damn, my video wasn't that good. But uh, but I I really thought it was great that everybody gave it a gave it a shot, and we gave away a premium program which is thirty five hundred dollars, and we gave away a cat four academies which is crazy or maybe three no it was four I think the four um, academies which is about fifteen hundred dollar program, and then we gave away uh, two marketing packages with a sell sheet and a virtual prototype which is cool, but no it'll be another year before we do something like that. Um, but you know, I guess you could wait a year, I suppose. Um, and, uh, yeah, so my dogs are doing great. Um, they're, they're crazy. My wife and my daughter were out of town. First time I've ever been away from that long for three weeks. Um, and it was just me and the dogs and we got close. We were already close, but, um, they're golden doodles. So they're like, they just want to be around their owner all the time. Um, I, I locked them out of the door here while they're, while the, for the live stream, um, but Piper likes to just be right there. They're, they're fantastic. I never had dogs in my life, so it's all new to me. But yeah, and getting two at the same time was kind of nutty. But that's a long story. Um, Edgar and Jess. Hey, Andrew, I'm a current student and I have a prospective licensee reaching out to their suppliers. Once we hear back, how can I push a sign to sign a contract as we're taking a long time to make it official. So Edgar and Jess, you, you need to be really involved and you should be talking to, I'm sure you have, talking to Paul, our negotiation coach. If you have not, please book a call with him as soon as possible to help him look at all the deal points and the timelines and all that and then tell you how to guide them. But uh, generally, I like that you asked the question on here because everybody will benefit from it. Um. You know, so they're reaching out. So, for example, they're reaching out to their suppliers. Can you ask, like, what are you reaching out to your suppliers for? Is there anything I can do to help you? Is there any information I can provide? What is the concern? What questions are you asking them? Can you just let me know so that maybe if I have um, a thought or two to go a different direction that I can let you know? So you just want to be super, super helpful and be knowledgeable about them. You're not really pesky and checking in with them every two seconds. But before you let them go off and do whatever they say they're going to do, understand what they're going to do whenever you can. Okay. So sometimes I ask people and they're like, well, I don't know. I think they want to do, I'm like, you should have more info about what they're doing. And most of the time they'll share it with you. Now, if they're really kind of standoffish, no, we got it from here. We guys got to figure this out. Then we'll come on back. That's fine. But if you can be involved, I've seen so many instances of our students where the, 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 the company will say something and then they're like, well, what do you mean? And they give a little bit more explanation. They're like, well, we could do this and this. The company's like, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we don't need a prototype then, or we don't need this or that or what, whatever that happens all the time. So be really as knowledgeable as you can um, about what they are doing right now, Edgar and Jess and, and, and talk to our negotiation coach, Paul, of course. Um, uh, Matt says, uh, hi, Andrew. Thank you for another exciting Monday question. Let's say you have an automotive product. You have a license with a company. Let's say a major automotive company wants to buy your idea. Who? And then where's the rest of the question? I don't, I don't see the rest of the question. Okay. So, so, okay. So, uh, let's say you have an automotive company. And you have a license with a company, let's say a major automotive company wants to license your idea. Well, you don't have a license and want to do a license. And then it just cut off at who. So I don't really know what your question is. But um, major automotive companies are next to impossible to license. We, we guided a student to do a deal with a major automotive company. You should always try to figure out how to make it an aftermarket product because there's way more companies that are going to be way more open. It's just brutal, brutal, brutal. Now, you may just use that as an example. It's a bad example, but, you know, it, because major automotive companies are so hard to license to. It's crazy. 
Um, but automotive aftermarket, fantastic. But that wasn't really your question. So if you want to type in your question more, that'd be great. Um, thank you for all the happy birthdays, everybody. Um, uh, Omar said, hello, do you have any company in mind or have you dealt with it before uh, uh, for licensing a phone case idea? So, you know, we our coaches guide our students to make an ideal list of companies for their products. So if it's a phone case or it's an industrial product or it's a kitchen cutting board, you study the marketplace and then you make your list of potential licensees and you reach out to them. So when people say, hey, do you know a company I can reach out to? I'm like, you don't need a company. You need like 20 or 30. And I think that's one of the reasons why our students license stuff. We, we push them to do that. We don't give them an option. You know, yeah, okay. If 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 a coach and a student has gone over um, the marketplace for that particular product, let's say it's a phone case. You, you, there's a ton of those, but um, or let's say it's a particular product, and we're shooting for twenty or thirty, and the coach guides the student as to what to look for. The student comes back, maybe even once or twice, and and they're like, okay, we we looked at everywhere for this particular product you have 15. You don't, I know we like to shoot for 20 or 30, but at least you know that's a solid 15 and you, you're not missing a bunch of companies because people will tend to, and this is one of the biggest mistakes inventors make, they'll go through the two or three that's right in front of their face. That's at their local store or that's really obvious and that's it. And you'll screw yourself if you do that. Um, if you get a smaller company, medium size, but you have a bigger company on your list too, I can teach you a million ways till Tuesday to delay with a smaller company until you hear back from the big company. That's not a problem. So you want to get all the irons in the fire at the same time. Never, ever two or three companies. You should not be working on a project that only has two or three companies. Now, a lot of you think there's only two or three. And I talk to people and I'm like, two or three? No, you, would, you could look here for this type of company and this type of retailer, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh. Yeah, I really didn't think about it like that, Andrew. So a lot of people think they only have two or three, but they really have 20 or 30. And then I, it's not uncommon where I'll see a student that's got like 40 on their list. Um, uh, oh, this is a good one. I like this one. Uh, uh, Miss Tish Adams said, I was offered 16%. So I need to look at all the, the 16% royalty would be very unusually high royalty. But like I said earlier, if you guys are joining us later, it's not about the royalty. It's about the royalty, the price of the product, the volume being sold. The volume being sold being a pretty big one. I don't care how great your royalty is. If they're only going to sell a thousand units a year. It's not going to add up to a hill of beans. You know what I mean? Um, but there's nothing wrong with doing small deals. I've had students that did small deals with smaller novelty uh, companies where it's just like a husband and wife. And they're like, ah, you know, I'm just trying to get my feet wet. I'm going to do a small deal, better no deal at all. Um, and then I have people that have done huge deals where they're making tons of money. And then most people are obviously in between. Um, you, you, most people aren't going to get rich or make millions, as people like to say. I'm off of one product. It's probably going to be off of multiple products. Everybody thinks their particular gadget and whiz is going to make them millions of dollars. I mean, Let's say you're making uh let's say you're making a hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and it sells for five years. What is that? That's uh seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. So over time you can make some decent money, but then another product you license might make you fifty thousand a year. And another one, you know, it's it's it could be making you over a million dollars a year over its life. So, but you know, if you do what you love, the money will come. And I've found that uh, most inventors are really passionate about their ideas. So I wouldn't worry about the money. Now, if you're really money driven, and after a while, I get students that will do this, and it's smart to pick your projects carefully, you know, where you're like, I know these are more going to, could produce more money. And you, know, you start to learn how to pick those projects without a doubt. Um, but at the beginning, you just want to get your feet wet and you're already excited about this idea, experience the process and go, now I know this process. Now I'm going to be a little more picky about the projects I pick if my goal is making more money, which it is, you know, most of you. But, you know, when you get a good idea, it's kind of hard to let it go. And it's like, ooh, well, this one could be make me a little bit more, but I'm really excited about this one. I'm just going to do this one, you know. And then you kind of never know. Like with Ryan's product, with his corkscrew product here, um, I told him, you know, that's kind of niche. I was wrong. You know, I said, that's a great product. I think you're totally going to license that. I didn't know it would do the volume that it did. 
you know, I think COVID helped with that with all the drinking and stuff, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so, uh, but yeah, Tish, 16% is not a normal royalty rate. 16% of what? What are they going to sell? You know, uh, it's not normal. It's great if you can get it, but, um, you know, you were offered it, but did you close it? So, you know, um, uh, this one I like. Uh, Duke said, hi, Andrew, what is your advice for shy inventors? So a um, little history. Uh, I was running an inventor association, which I ran for 14 years in Silicon Valley. And I, I was, I was, I was a very shy kid. I was very shy. Um, eventually, I went to Toastmasters, and that helped a little bit. But then I was so passionate about inventing that I, I, I was started to. The people that were running the inventors group didn't want to run it anymore, and I said, "No, I'll, I'll run it." And I, and then I ended up running the group for 14 years. So I, I got up the uh, whatever. I got used to introducing speakers. Now I wasn't the speaker like I am here today, but I got used to introducing the speakers. And um, oddly enough, I asked Stephen. I forget if I asked him or him. He asked me. I don't. No, I asked him. I did because he was at our meeting and then he was showing his stuff and everybody was kind of gathered around. And I asked him. So I do remember that now. Um, and he was shy about public speaking, too. So we kind of went this through together. We got kind of used to public speaking. Now we'll just go on and record a YouTube show. I don't even think about it. I think I'm picking my nose half the time and not even paying attention. But I'm just saying that to get your attention. I, I hope I don't do that. I itch my nose sometimes because I get allergies. But anyway, um, uh, so. So what is your advice? There you go. Now, now I have to itch my nose for shy inventors. Um, you need to you need to get over it. But I think one one really good thing, because I think a lot of our new students are are shy to some extent. They don't want to pick up the phone and call a company. So LinkedIn is fantastic. We have a whole program called Smart Pitch, which is LinkedIn for licensing. How to reach out to marketing managers on LinkedIn. So you could hate. I hate Facebook. I think it's ridiculous. Um, I, I'm on Facebook. I literally go on there every three months to see if somebody for blast from the past reached out to me. That's the only thing. Cause I, I don't like people arguing about politics online. They're just idiots. The, the way people conduct themselves is idiotic. And then I don't need to know what somebody ate for dinner. I don't care. Now, LinkedIn um, is fantastic, you know, because it's about making those business connections and you can make connections to really high level people. So what's really great for a shy person is, you know, what you can use our templates that we give our students, you can reach out. And then once they show, say, yes, I'm, and then, well, you could connect to their network. You, you just reach out, you click connect. And then, then you reach out and you ask them if you can send, send them something and you use our templates. And that's nice because you could be really shy and you could do that at 2 a.m. You could do it in the middle of the day. You could do it whenever. And you can reach out to these marketing managers for these very large companies. Um, in the early days, we were just, LinkedIn didn't exist. You know, and it wasn't as popular. So our students were calling and emailing and they still do that. So what I would say is initially getting over it, start reaching out on LinkedIn. That'll help you get over your shyness a little bit. Like, oh, I can talk to these people um, or I can communicate with these people. And then you got it. You still need to do phone and email because let's say you got 30 companies and 18, you got a hold of on LinkedIn, but 12, you didn't. Well, you got to pick up the phone and call them. You got to email them. Now, email them would be good for a shy person, too, because you don't have to talk on the phone. So you'd probably be OK with that as well. Um, I think people are comfortable when they're a coaching student of ours because anything that they could say, we've got an answer. So they know we got their back. So once they're going through this uncomfortable process, they know we've got an answer for it. Um, but, it, you know, one of the things that I've said before, um, Duke, is I think every kid when they're in senior year in high school should be forced to sell. I never did, but I think my cousin did. I did something else. Um to sell Cutco knives door to door. It's kind of like, I don't like network marketing at all. Um, but to sell something door to door, because you get all sorts of rejection. For me, um, when I got to college, I worked for my dad for about a year and he had a CNC distributorship where computer numerically controlled machines. And so I was literally going door to door to machinists and selling 50,000 to half billion dollar machines. And 99% of the time, they didn't want to talk to me. If they got a big a contract or something. They want to talk to me. And sometimes they would talk to me. I got so much freaking rejection. I got used to it. And that's how I broke myself in with that. But um, a lot of our students, their very first time to break themselves in with getting all these no's, which is where we always talk about collecting no's. The coaches talk about collecting no's is InventRight. And I get a lot of people like leaving InventRight going, wow, not only do I feel empowered to license my products, 
but I feel like I can do all sorts of things I didn't think I could do before. And sometimes I'm not stereotyping, but a lot of times engineers, I met some very business savvy engineers, but a lot of engineers, they don't want to do that. They're like, oh, I'm above that, or I just don't want to do it or whatever. I'm not going to make a phone call. And, and then they're leaving going, wow, I, I'm doing things I never thought I could do. So um, Duke, I would just start out small and you know, reach out via email, reach out via LinkedIn, and then kind of start to step it up a notch. Another thing that really helps our students is get these bridge in the gap meetings where we invite CEOs and marketing managers to come on um, a live Zoom stream with our students. And a lot of our students, a small percentage of our students will attend live and then the West watch the replay. But there, this is a CEO or marketing manager on live. We do at least two of them a month. And we've done about 30, 31 now, I think. Um, and the inventor is like, well, I don't have a kitchen project. I got an automotive product, but wow, they're people just like me. And so what I really like about the program is they're like, they're talking about their frustration in their business, what they have to deal with as a marketing manager or CEO and what they're looking for, what they're not looking for. So it really, inventors go, it's not this big and personal, scary company, but it's a person. They're just like me. And I, I would be comfortable submitting this personal law. Our students submit directly to these companies because they, they get familiar with them. But you got to make your list of companies too. You can't just go with, a, you know, we got 30, 31 companies now. If there's just two companies in the category you're in or none, you know, you're not going to rely on that. Because like I said, we're talking 20 or 30 companies, not two or three. So Duke, I would realize they're people. They're not this crazy big company there you're not dealing with the company you're dealing with a person so if that makes it a little easier also you can do email and do linkedin and that's a great way to get started and feel energized a little bit sometimes you'll feel de-energized because they won't respond which is normal you got to get used to it so but getting kind of what you might perceive as rejections i could just perceive it as part of the process um early on via email or via LinkedIn and get, you start getting used to the nose, used to the nose, then you might be a little more comfortable making a phone call or doing something different. So hopefully that's helpful, Duke. Um, uh, huh. uh, Richard, this is interesting. And then I think we got to call it a day. I, I, I just get to the earlier questions, guys, if you want to show up earlier. I think there's a bunch of people that typed in questions like, a good 20, 30 minutes ahead of time. So if I didn't answer your question, I can't get to them all. Um, but uh, let's see this next one. And oh, before we we wrap things up here, um, if you guys, if you're not subscribed, please down below, click subscribe, click the notification icon down below too. That's the way you can say thank you to me for personally answering your guys' questions. We'd like to grow our subscribers. We just hit 60,000, celebrated that. We like to grow to 80,000. Um, we're kind of the the, the the biggest guy on the block in our puddle on as far as you know doing this sort of thing um i mean when you look at other youtube channels maybe they have you know a couple thousand subscribers maybe five i think even the patent office only has about 22 so we're very proud but we put in the freaking work guys we've been doing youtube for a long long time now and we're all about helping you so let's go to the last question here and we'll call it a night uh, Richard said, now that the government has passed new environmental laws and building building back laws, should we focus on companies that are American? Also, do you use Zoom for the classes on InventRight coaching program? Okay, so uh, when you're licensing, you want to tap into what's already there. You don't want to tell them to do something different. So whatever's going on with the market is what's going on with the market. So if you notice they, they sell... They may get all their product made in China. You're not going to go, well, you should get it made in America. They're going to do whatever they freaking do now. So once that starts to change, you can make those observations on where they're selling. But, you know, you're, you're not going to you're not going to get them to change the way they manufacture, where they manufacture or where they distribute. They're going to do you're tapping into what's already there. So if you have a dog toy and they're in Petco, PetSmart, Walmart and Rite Aid. You're not going to say, well, you should sell here, here, and here. No, you're observing they're selling in these places, and that's what they're going to freaking do. Okay, if they sell all their products, they don't have a single product in 1995, you're not going to sell them a product for 100 bucks. probably. You might get lucky, but probably not. Okay, so as things change, which I'd love to see more manufacturing come back to the United States, I, it's going to go to other countries, to be honest, a lot of it, but some of it come back to the United States. 
yeah, if you want to tap into that. But if you're trying to license your product now, you want to do it now, look at what's going on now and tap into what's going on now because licensing is all about tapping into what's happening now, okay? What they're doing now. And they're not going to do anything dramatically different. As one student, um, you want to license the product and his company's interested and he's like, oh, I'm going to tell them, I, I think they should monogram each one. I'm like, what are you talking about? This company sells at Walmart. Do you see them doing that on their website? You're not going to get them to do that. That's not how licensing works. So same thing with, you know, building back America, whatever you want to call that. Um, that hopefully that's going to happen. But when you're licensing, you're going to look at companies and what they're doing. And maybe some of them are already doing that. That's great. License to them. That's fantastic. Okay. But hopefully I made my point there. Um, uh, thank you guys for all the happy birthday wishes. I really appreciate it. Um, give us a thumbs up on our videos. Subscribe to our channel. If you're not subscribed, we'd love to hit 80,000 viewers. That's the way you can say thank you to me personally. And I will see you guys next Monday. Oh, don't hesitate to check out inventright.com and click on the free resources button in the upper right-hand corner. Inventright.com. And you can learn about our coaching programs and everything else there too. So uh, take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. See ya. Bye.